0: We're going to have a reading from God's Word. We'll be reading from Matthew 5, 1 through 2, and 7, 28 through 29. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here at Trailhead. Gabby seems really confused by our passage this morning. And uh, that's all right. We're going to talk about it uh, as we get into the the message here in a minute. Before we do that, I want to remind you, um, if you haven't heard... Already next week, Trailhead Kids is coming back and we are excited about that, looking forward to it very much. Um, if you know any kids in fifth grade or below, all the way down to babies, um, or parents who have kids in that age range, um, they can register online this week and we will have kids available. And I, in my understanding, this little uh, graphic here is not metaphorical. There might be a surprise. Uh, for kids who are here next week. So Trailhead Kids coming back next week, uh, only at the 9 a.m. service, Uh, but we are excited about that. If you have not uh, signed up to work in Trailhead Kids, but you would like to have an opportunity to pour into some kids to share the gospel uh, with kids from a variety of age ranges, we would love to have you do that. You can contact uh, Andrea Wong, Uh, Or you can email kids at trailheadonline.org if you would like to have an opportunity to serve. So looking forward very much to Trailhead Kids next week. This week, uh, we are starting our summer sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, and it's in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And this week, um, as Gabby was reading for you, we're going to look at just the very beginning and the very end. We're going to look at the bookends of this kind of as a way of introducing what's going on here and taking a look. Um, at what Jesus has to say. When we look at uh, what what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's important for us to understand kind of where this is taking place. This is very early on in Jesus' ministry. So Jesus um, has come to earth. Obviously, as a baby, he was born and he's grown and he's getting to, as an adult now, he's starting his earthly ministry and he started doing miracles and he started teaching And because of some of the things he's doing, he's really starting to attract kind of a following. People are like, what's going on with all this? They're following him around. In fact, if you bump back into chapter 4, you see that it says, starting in verse 23, he went, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he's doing all these miracles. He's teaching And his fame spread, it says, verse 24, his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed with demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus is starting, his ministry is beginning, and he's doing all these incredible things, and he's teaching, and people are coming, and they're like, what's going on? I want to see this, I want to... What's, what's he doing? And he's, he's developing this crowd. And as we look, and as you see, um, as we move from chapter four into chapter five, and as we look at this sermon, the, the author here, Matthew, makes a distinction among the people who are following him between two different groups that he refers to as his disciples and the crowd. Um, And it says, so like you say in verse 25, great crowds followed him from Galilee. And then chapter 5 verse 1, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. So there's great groups of people. But then it says, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he differentiates, Matthew, the author here, differentiates between two groups of people who are following Jesus. The crowds, which would be like everybody who's just listening in, like what's going on here, and the disciples... And the disciples being, more specifically, the people who have made like a conscious decision of, we want to follow and learn from you. So like there's the crowds who are just like, we want to check this out. What is this? What exactly? I'm not sure about this. I just want to hear more. And the disciples who are like, yeah, I think we buy into this. We're, we're following on a deep. I don't want to say a deeper level, but with a little more level of commitment. With a little more level of buy-in, with a little more, um, a little more skin in the game, I guess you would say. And it says so. Jesus sits down, and and um, it says in chapter five, verse one, he went up on the mountain, um, which is where the reference or often the title, of the Sermon on the Mount, comes from. Um, what we kind of look at this, and most commentators say that maybe a, a better translation of that, he he went into like the hill country. The mountain area. Because if you try to think through the logistics of literally going up on top of a mountain and great crowds of people following to listen, it's kind of maybe a little bit hard to to hear or or to think through, is that actually realistic? But if you look geographically at the area they're describing, it makes sense that what this is really saying is he went into kind of a, a hilly region. He finds kind of a plateau area and he starts speaking. The sermon, the speech, the teaching that he gives that follows in chapters 5, 6, and 7, what we're going to spend the next several months looking at, is directed specifically at the audience that Matthew refers to as his disciples. And what he really unpacks over the course of these three chapters, over the course of this sermon, is what does it mean, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it look like? In some ways, very practically, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Because you've got all these people who are seeing what he's doing and they're interested and they want to know more and he's he's talking to them and he's talking to them about the kingdom and he's talking to them and he's doing these incredible miracles and he's healing people and they're like, we're interested, we want to know, we want to follow you. And so Jesus says, so here's what that looks like. But here's the crazy thing, and this is why I want to jump to the end. He's talking specifically, he tells us, it tells, Matthew tells us, he's talking to his disciples. But what we see when we get to the end, at the, at the end of all of this, when Jesus finished these sayings, this is chapter 7 verse 28, it says this, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So, we have this, this sermon that's very much directed at a specific group of people. The people who have made some level of commitment. The people who have said, we want to follow Jesus. We believe in him. We don't know everything because at this point nobody understood everything. But we believe, to the extent that we understand, we believe what he's teaching. And those are his disciples. He gets to the end, and Matthew tells us, and the crowds, which he's differentiated as everybody else, is astonished. Which means very clearly they've been listening to. Jesus sits down to start talking and he's talking to his followers. But everybody else who had been following around is like, we we got to hear this. And they've listened in and their response is that they're astonished. They're blown away. They can't believe what they're hearing. And then here's the question. Why are they so interested? What is it about Jesus' teaching that to them is so, not just appealing that they want to listen, not just intriguing that it pulls them in to start listening, but to them, that even when He gets to the end of it all, even those who haven't like fully bought in, even those who don't fully believe that He is who He says He is, that there's still something that they just go, whoa, this is different. There's something here That is not like anything we've heard before. There's something that didn't just pull us in at the beginning of the sermon. It didn't just hook us in. And it didn't just hold us through. I mean, it held them through. And we find out as we go through the gospels, we found out when Jesus preached, he preached for a long time, right? Like if we push, if I push 50 minutes, you guys are like, come on, okay, seriously, right? Jesus would go like hours and hours. Sometimes, with breaks for, for possibly days. We don't, we don't even know 100% for sure. But they would hold through the whole thing because they were, they were enraptured by what he's saying. Why? What was it that held their attention? And Matthew tells us in verse 29, for, because he was teaching them as one who had authority. He spoke with authority. And then just to make sure we understand, he, he, it's a contrast, not like their scribes, their teachers. There was a huge difference between Jesus' teaching and the teaching they were used to hearing. And the difference, the difference was that Jesus spoke with authority. What does that mean? And that's what I want to spend some time looking at this morning because I think it's going to set up everything for the rest of the summer. How we approach this, how we interact with this, how we listen to it, and ultimately how we respond to Jesus' sermon. What does it mean to say that he spoke with authority? Um, You know, when you think about it, when we step back, preaching, the idea of preaching, this whole kind of thing that we do, it's kind of weird if you really kind of step back and ask. It's it's been going on forever. Like it's all it's a timeless tradition. The idea, I mean, look Jesus is doing it here. You see prior to that even in the Old Testament, there's public speakers standing up and speaking to whole groups of but but it really doesn't seem to fit that well with our modern sensibility. Right? Think about in in our culture and and the importance we put on um on group, on, on individuals having autonomy on individuals being able to, to make up their own minds, on thinking through things for yourself, on conversation, and being able to push back and discuss, and which are all wonderful things, right? But if you think about those in the context of what preaching is, where it's one person standing up and talking, and um, a, a whole group of people sitting and listening to that one person, and listening... With the sense of like, you just teach us. And maybe afterwards there will be some conversation. And maybe afterwards we'll have some discussion about things. But in this moment, for this period of time, we're just going to block off. And we're just going to sit and listen to you. In our modern context, that's really pretty weird. It's really weird. And if you, just for a second, allow me. It's really weird for me. Like as the preacher, being up in front. And I'm talking, and a lot of people are listening, and there's this aspect of, like, in my head, why? Like, why are you here? No offense, like, don't leave, but, like, why me, right? And why would you listen to anything I have to say? And every once in a while, why are you looking at me? What is going on? And I am i have to remind myself sometimes when I'm preaching, like, oh, they're looking at me because I'm talking, right? Because I get real self-conscious, like, there must be something in my nose or whatever. But it's just this weird, surreal kind of a of a thing, and it's this tradition that is developed, and it's honestly, I mean, we see it modeled in the New Testament, but but why? And what? I mean, when you think through, and I start thinking about why should I be up here talking of anybody, and why should you be listening to anything I have to say, at best, at best, I think what I'm doing when I stand up and preach is I'm trying to highlight something that Jesus already said. I'm I'm hoping to illuminate. I'm hoping to, to proclaim what God has already said. Maybe I can illustrate. Maybe I can explain. Maybe I can demonstrate things for you in a way that helps you. But nothing I say when I'm up here, and nothing Steve says when he's up here, or Brian, or whoever is up here, nothing we say can come from our own, from my own sense of, like, here's what I think, or here's what I believe, or here's what I say to you. That would have, like, zero impact and, and should have zero weight on you. Because I'm just a person just like you. Anything I say, or anything a preacher says, anything that anybody at Trailhead says when they're up here, to have any kind of weight, To have any kind of impact, to have any kind of, to use the word that we're using here in Matthew, any kind of authority, it has to be coming from some other source. I have on my own zero authority. I'm just a guy. Any authority to anything I say has to come from where my source material is coming from. So we believe here at Trailhead that, that God's Word, what's revealed here in Scripture, is authoritative. We believe that what we have when we read the Bible is what God has spoken to us. And so we believe that there is power to preaching, but the power to preaching comes from the Holy Spirit working through the words that I speak, not because of me, but because of the source. And the source is God. And God's word, we believe God has authority and is authoritative in our lives. But me by myself, I, I don't have authority. But when Jesus spoke, and this is what Matthew's saying, when Jesus spoke, his listeners heard something very, very, very different. Jesus wasn't just giving an interpretation of what God had spoken. Jesus, as we read through this sermon, Jesus isn't just explaining something He heard or read from God. Jesus isn't just illustrating truths. They heard from Jesus actual, real authority. His words alone, by themselves, Him as a, as a person, had authority. In um, this time period, and and even through um, ancient Jewish authorities, would do what was called, or or have what we would call midrash. Midrash was um, interpretation of the Jewish scriptures by the Jewish authorities. And so when a rabbi, when a Jewish authority would get up and speak, Oftentimes they would add on to, not add on to, but explain, um, discuss, comment on the Jewish scriptures. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not, in this sermon, as we go through this this summer, Jesus is not just taking the Jewish law and explaining it in a different way. Okay, And so when it says he was teaching as one who had authority, not as their scribes, they recognized, the crowd recognized, he's doing something fundamentally different than what their teachers of the law would do. What their teachers of the law would do was they would take the Scriptures that they had and would explain them, would comment on them, would draw, similar to in some ways what, what we do when we preach here. Jesus, though, had actual authority when jesus spoke they heard in him not here's something somebody else said let me talk about it they heard this is what i say and it has weight because i'm the one saying it. that jesus words have meaning because they come from jesus why he demonstrates, and we just saw this in the, the end of chapter 4 as we led into this, and if you go on into chapter 8, he's doing all kinds of miracles. Those miracles demonstrate power. They demonstrate authority. They demonstrate his authority over disease. They demonstrate, if you noticed, it said in chapter 4 that he was casting out demons, so they demonstrate his authority over the spiritual realm. So he's demonstrating physically his authority. But, but if you see again... That the crowd is astonished not because he had power, but because they heard in what he was saying, authority. What is it? What is it that gives Jesus authority? Now this is an important question for us too. Okay, Because as we go through this, if we're going to spend a whole summer looking at this sermon, we've got to understand and we've got to decide... Does Jesus have authority for us? Is he a great teacher and we can listen to what he has to say and think about it in relation to other teaching we've heard from other great teachers and thinkers and philosophers? Or is there something different? The crowd who heard him thought, believed there was something different. Why? It's not his title. He didn't have a title. He didn't have a position. It's not just because he was charismatic. Right? His authority didn't come from the fact that he was just a really good speaker. Wow, I could listen to that guy all day. He's so funny and winsome. I think I'm going to believe whatever he says. That's not what they're saying. It's not because his ideas were so innovative. Now, we're going to see as we go through this, some of the things he said were very, very, very different than what they had been taught before. Some of them go very different from and go against very much what we've heard and what we believe in our culture. But that's not it. There's lots of controversial speakers. There's lots of people who are willing to get up and just say the opposite of what everybody's thinking just to get attention. That doesn't give them authority. What is it that gives Jesus authority? It's something within his very nature. It's not something he got or earned. It's something he has. He was teaching them as one who had authority. He himself was authoritative. They didn't give it to him. They recognized it already being present in him. Why is that? I want to show you a couple passages of scripture that I think are going to help us put this into context. And the first one is in Colossians chapter one. So if you have I'm um, a New Testament, and you wouldn't mind turning to the book of Colossians. Um, and I think we're going to put it up on the screen also. And maybe I should just look at that. Because I could have put a bookmark in. Wouldn't that have been a good idea? All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about Jesus, obviously at a different point in time. This is after he's died, risen again, and gone back into heaven. And here's what he says in verse 15, Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is God. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He, Jesus, is before all things, And in him all things hold together. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is the author of everything. That's why he has authority. He has dominion over the world because he created the world. He didn't study to become an expert. He's an expert because he created all of this. He made it. As the Creator, He knows how and why we exist. He understands things we will never understand. He knows and understands how we function best. When He speaks, when He makes a command, there's truth in it, and there's truth in it because it comes from Him. Jesus is the only person who ever lived who doesn't discover and learn the truth. He is the truth. When Jesus speaks, it's true because He speaks it. Why is it true? Because he is the one who determines what is true. Why does he get to determine that? Because he made it all. It's his. All of this belongs to him. This is what Paul's saying here. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Everything. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, here's the word, or authorities. All authority that exists in this world is under the authority of Jesus. Because he made it. And he gets to decide, because it's his, because he made it, it's his. He gets to decide how it works. He understands things we will never understand. And even when we don't understand it, what he says is still true. So here's here's where this is so confusing for us and why we get so tripped up. We, I, want to listen to as many different sources of information as I can, weigh the options, Look at all the different theories and come to the one that makes the most sense to me. Figure out which one I think is going to work best for me. And so I'll listen to this piece of advice and I'll listen to this person and uh, all this. and, And when there's a controversial issue, I'll read from this side and I'll read from this side. That's not actually what we do, though, is it? When it's a controversial issue, I shouldn't even, that's not a good example. When it's a controversial issue, I decide what I believe, and then I look for people who agree with that and read that. But that's beside the point. Okay, Um, but most of us, that's how we approach Scripture as well. That's how we approach the words of Jesus. We come to Jesus, or we come to the Bible, and we read it, and we ask this question. We say, do I agree with this? Okay, Jesus, what do you say about these issues? Hmm, interesting. Okay, do I agree with that or not? Okay, Paul, what does Paul write about this? Am I in agreement with that? Or where do I think that fits in? Now, listen, when you read what Jesus has to say, asking, do I agree with this? It's a, it's a good question to ask. It's a really good question to ask. The, the issue becomes, what do you do with the follow-up to the answer to that question? So Jesus says, here's life. Here's the world. Here's what is true. Here's how the world works best. And sometimes, because this is how the world works best, here's how you should live. And we read this, and we say, that's interesting. And we read this and we say, do I agree with that? Is that how I live? Do I want to live that way? And Jesus is saying to us, it doesn't really matter whether you want to or not. This is what is true. What we have to decide in our heads is when we read Scripture, when we hear the words of Jesus specifically, and we bump into something that we disagree with, where do we go with that? It is natural. It only makes sense that all of us, as fallen human beings living in a fallen world, we will find things that are not natural to us when Jesus speaks. There should be, if we're being honest, if we're really coming at it with truth in our own hearts, there will be things that Jesus says that don't align with what we have believed for most of our lives, that don't line up with the way our culture believes the world should work. We're going to see this real fast next week when we start getting into the sermon itself, that all of what Jesus starts off with is, look, here's how the world functions. It's the opposite. The truth is the opposite. And when we bump into those things, now some things, look, this is the way cultures work and this is the way the world works. There are going to be some things that Jesus teaches and as we go through this this summer, there are going to be some of the things Jesus teaches that fit really, really well with our Western understanding of the world. And we read those and we'll hear those and we'll be like, yeah, absolutely. Yes, Jesus is with us. Jesus is on our side. That's awesome. That's so great. There will be other things that will not go along with our cultural understanding of the world. And regardless of where you are culturally or politically or anything like that, there will be something that Jesus says that's going to push on you. Because you're not God. I'm not God. What do we do when we come to that place? When we recognize that something we believe or something we do is in conflict with what Jesus says is what works best. We have to decide in those moments, do we submit to Jesus' authority or do we lean back into our own authority? All of us by default, all of us by default, want to be the final Authority in our own lives. Okay, the, the, the little kid, the preschooler who stamps his foot and shakes his fist and says, you're not the boss of me, that's us. That's all of us. That never goes away. There is within all of us a natural resistance to any kind of exterior authority. We want to be in charge. It's the root of all of our problems as humans. Because it goes back to the very first people. All of this started with God giving authoritative rules. One authoritative rule. And humans coming in and saying, you can't tell me what to do. I can figure this out on my own. In fact, the lie that started the whole thing off, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, the lie of all of it was, God doesn't want you to know what's right and wrong. He doesn't want you to know the difference between good and evil so you can make these authoritative decisions for yourself. And what did we, our first ancestors and us today, what do we say? Yeah, I should be able to make those decisions. And every single stage of our life, is marked by us wanting more and more authority. So the idea to us, culturally, and just human nature, of someone having ultimate authority over us goes against everything we've taught ourselves to believe for our whole lives. But if it's true, that Jesus really is the author and creator of everything. If He really did make all of this, if He really does know how all of this works best, then it is for our own good, have you ever heard a parent say that to a kid? It's for our own good to submit to His authority even when we don't understand it. Now, Talking about this, and I've used the word authority like 50 times already. And as I've been going through that, I understand, for some people, the very idea of authority is just so difficult. In some ways, it's, it's, it's threatening. And for some people, that could be for a very good reason. In our world, again, in this broken world we live in, Authority is not always used for our good. And some of you, many of you, have had experiences where someone who was supposed to be an authority or somebody who put themselves in authority abused that authority, misused that authority, hurt you because you submitted to their authority and they used it in a way that was not for your good. And so when we start talking about the idea of submitting to anyone other than ourselves, for some of us, that's scary. And it's scary not just because we have rebellious hearts. It's it's more than that. For some of us, there's trauma. There are actual, real, lived experiences where somebody who was supposed to be over you, was supposed to be doing what was best, was supposed to be leading you, took the confidence and the trust you had placed in them and misused it. And said to you, and at times looked you in the eyes and said, I have authority over you and then hurt you with that. So here's what I really, really want you to see today. Jesus is not like that. Would you turn to the book of John so I know we're jumping around today. Um, I just want to establish some things. And this, I think, is so important. When we talk about Jesus having authority, please, 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 don't picture that as so many earthly rulers, so many earthly bosses, so many honestly, sadly, earthly parents who take that little bit of limited Human power they have and take it for their own good and abuse it and use it to manipulate other people to do what they think will serve them. Instead, look how Jesus uses his authority because it's completely different. This is in the book of John. In chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself. This is a long passage. Um, I'm going to start in verse 7, John chapter 10, verse 7. Um, Jesus is referring to himself using the the metaphor of a shepherd. A shepherd has authority over his sheep. But the reason a shepherd has authority over his sheep is to care for them, to watch over them, to do what is in their best interest. And he contrasts that kind of authority with a different kind of authority. Verse number 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, this is verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus, I came that they, the sheep, his followers, the crowds, the people listening to him, hearing his teaching, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is Jesus' goal for us? That we can have life and that we can have it abundantly. Not that he can have more power. Not that he can have comfort. Not that he can have significance or prestige. I, verse 11, am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, Verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, ownership, Jesus has authority, He owns us. He who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees, the hired, the false shepherd. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. People hear Jesus, they listen to him. When they hear Jesus' voice, it's different. And they understand it to be authoritative. Whether they're the disciples or the crowd, whether they're from the flock or not, they come together and... Uh, I lost my, I lost my, for this reason, where was I? Uh, Oh, verse 16, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I'm going to bring them together. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Look at verse 18. No one takes it, his life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And look here's our word. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father Jesus says, I have authority. You know this. You've heard this. They've seen it. At this point, this is in John, it's a different gospel, but this is later in his ministry. And Jesus has been preaching and he's been doing miracles and the crowds have grown and the number of disciples has grown and people have listened to him and they know at this point, they know he has authority. And so Jesus, what are you going to do with that authority? And here's what he says, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to sacrifice myself. And it's not, it's not, and he wants to make this really clear, it's not out of his control. That Jesus is crucified, it's not an accident. It's not, well, now what do we do? It's not, Jesus didn't come in, I have authority, I'm going to restore the nation of Israel, I'm going to, we're going to take over the world. And then the Roman authorities said, no way, we have more authority, you're done. Jesus makes it absolutely clear. He has the authority over all of it. He lets them arrest him. He lets them crucify him. Because he loves us. Because he's the good shepherd. Because he knows in doing that he can take our sin and our punishment on himself. And he knows that he has the authority to come back and triumph over death so that in calling us as his sheep to him, we can enter into that life, that abundant life with him. That the death we deserve has been defeated in him. I have to believe when it says that the crowd recognized, when the crowd heard Jesus speak and they saw that he had authority, I have to believe that this is the authority that they're recognizing. It's not the authority of somebody who thinks they're awesome, of the charismatic leader who wants everybody to know how great they are, how powerful they are, how they're going to make everything better so that they can puff themselves up. I have to believe when they heard Jesus speaking and they recognized his authority, it was the authority of someone Who loves them, who's willing to lay down his own comfort, sacrifice his own life for people who don't deserve it, but he loves anyway. So when Jesus speaks, and he speaks with authority we need to recognize that that's not an authority of you better do this or else. It's an invitation. It's an invitation of someone who loves us and has the power to rescue us from our own self-destructive lives. And he has that power because he's the author of all life. And the author of everything, the creator of everything, is inviting us to follow him into the life that we were created for. One of the things we're going to see this summer as we go through this is that following Jesus is about a lot more than just outward obedience. It's about a heart that's turned toward Jesus. There are a lot of people who will follow an authority figure outwardly. I will do what you're saying because I know you're in charge and I'm going to follow the rules because they're the rules, but I have absolutely no desire or or belief or heart for it. And we're going to see this this summer. That's not what Jesus is asking. That's not what Jesus is leading us to. That's not what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, means to have our heart turned toward him. But that can only come, that can only happen from a heart that's been convicted, that's been persuaded, that is believing that the author of the world gave his life to reconcile you to himself. So our invitation this morning, the invitation Jesus gives, it's the invitation I give to you, and I want to make it really explicit. It's the invitation to follow the one who is the author of everything? Will you believe the one who gave his power to forgive your rebellion? Will you put your trust, not in yourself, not in your authority, not in your ability to reason, not in your ability to do good on your own, will you put your trust in the good news of Jesus? The author of everything, who gave everything, Out of love for you. And as we approach this sermon this summer, and as we hear from Jesus, we ask the question Will we submit because of His love? Would you pray with me this morning? We're going to share communion together in a moment. Heavenly Father, God, we are humbled. I'm humbled to, to have the opportunity and the responsibility to, to share what You've spoken. I pray this morning that the words I've spoken would, would speak to people's hearts not because they come from me, but because they come from You. That what's authoritative from your Holy Spirit, will sink into people's hearts. Will transform people's hearts. Because you are the one who is speaking. Let us hear from you. Let us us push aside everything within us that crowds out and wants to argue and wants to debate. Let us hear the true, pure gospel. Your good news. The God who loves us. The Savior who died for us. Please let those words transform our hearts. God, help us as we come to you to come humbly, to come in submission, to hear from you and follow you in your name.